For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so much and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group. First of all, Randy, how you doing this fine Saturday morning? Doing great, Jeff. How about you? Oh, I'm fantastic now that I'm with you on the radio. You know, it isn't Saturday without talking to you guys. And Jake, how are you? I'm good. We're finally getting some rain, getting a little bit less of this heat going on. I don't yeah. know if there's any guys out there listening ready for summer to be over, but uh, <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah, when it's wintertime, I can't wait for the summer. Then it becomes August, and then I can't wait for the fall to come. So I'm with you. But, you know, the seasons are changing just a little bit. All good things ahead. I'm looking forward to it. We were talking uh, last week about the dog days of August and the etymology of where the dog days of August came from. And surprisingly, I found out that it didn't come from any reference to canines. It has to do with the constellation Sirius and the fact that at this time of the year, you can finally see Sirius. So that's the dog days of August. But you know, there is another sign that August is here, gentlemen, and I spotted it yesterday. And I'm sure you probably can't guess what it is. So I'll go ahead and tell you. Halloween decorations are already in the drugstores. That means it's August. <laughs> that means it's August. Yeah, Sounds like they can't get any normal inventory in. They're not waiting until the last minute. And you're right there, Jake. I think maybe the shelves are a little bit empty. They've got to fill them up with what they can, and it happens to be Halloween decorations. I'm finding that still, that there still is a supply line shortage. My garage door has been broken for about six weeks now. We just can't get the part for that. Are you finding that we're still having these supply line shortages, and it's really a affecting the economy or it's affecting the market, probably more affecting the economy than anything else and probably just a frustration factor for people. Yeah, for sure. It's a frustrating thing. You know, I'll say this. It is spotty as to what I'm seeing right now as far as supply chain shortages. Now, the day-to-day stuff, you know, uh, we see some food that's not there sometimes, maybe some supplies that we've come to rely upon that are not on the shelf. And sometimes they're spreading certain departments out, you know, like bottled water was on uh, 14 shelves the other day rather than its normal two. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, so they're trying to cover up a few holes in inventory. But I will say this, you know, a lot of things that we try to buy for us specifically right now, you know, we have a cycling race team we're trying to get some bikes for and you just can't buy them still. You know, that's that's so there's it's really spotty, I would say. I think there's quite a few things, Jeff, that we're seeing people are just starting to settle. They're tired of waiting. Right. For exactly what they want. So like if you ordered a vehicle and your vehicle is missing one part, you can't take delivery, right? Right. Maybe you wanted it in an Escalade and now you're down to uh, a Ford minivan or something. You know, I think there's a lot of people that are that are just sick of waiting. And so we're seeing sales are kind of picking up. 
But there's still a lot of things that people just can't get, especially on the high end of things, anything that has a lot of electronics and things like that. Semiconductors, chips are still kind of an issue. So, you know, contrary to popular belief, the CHIPS Act is not going to fix it tomorrow. <laughs> in fact, it's going to take probably a decade for most of that to really come online. It's going to take three to four years for it to even be built. That's one of the things I haven't heard about the CHIPS Act yet. So I'm going to have to look into that. But I have noticed with automobiles, I mean, the price of used cars, we were discussing off the air that my uh, two and a half year old car is worth $6,000 more than I paid for it for the same car they have. A lot of $6,000 more. So things are a little upside down now in the market and in the economy. Let's talk about inflation. Where is that running currently? You know, it's kind of interesting that you bring inflation up here again. I mean, we've talked about that a lot. But anyway, yeah. it's it's one of those things that's continually on everybody's mind right. right now. And I think, you know, the market rally that we've seen over the last little bit here, especially the last week or 10 days, two weeks, I guess, you know, is saying what they've predicated these gains on are, well, it's not as bad as we thought it was going mm-hmm. to be. So that's good news, right? Well, 8.7% inflation versus the uh, actual of 8.6, a tenth of a percent when it's 8% really doesn't make much difference to me. Right. Uh, also, this market rally, you know, we think has, it's another bear market rally, we think here, that uh, even though it looks really good right now and, and people are enjoying seeing the green, there's still a lot of stuff happening that says that, you know, uh, inflation is not under control and we've still got to come down. You know, housing is cracking even more as right. we look at housing starts. Uh, there, the overall housing starts were pretty good, but a lot of that was multifamily rather than individual. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that inventory now is more than it's been since 2014. Since 2014, we've been low right. and short on supply, and now we have more than there. So, I mean, we're just... Everything with higher interest rates, higher prices, more availability. They said that something, I'm trying to remember what what the numbers were earlier this week. They said that, you know, they had seven buyers for every house mm-hmm. uh, here two or three months ago, and now they're down to maybe four buyers for every house. So we know that uh, real estate's going to come down some more. And of course, that is one of the major things that controls a lot of our economy because what happens with housing really uh, is pervasive throughout all of business. And so, so as we see that come down, we are going to probably start to see some layoffs and we're probably going to see the non-recession become more of a recession. Yeah, I have noticed that there have been housing drops of, uh, you know, fifteen, maybe $20,000 for higher end houses. And I think it has a lot to do with the interest rates. The interest rates uh, now, you know, if you're not a well-qualified buyer or even if you are a qualified buyer, you know, they're five, six percent at this point in time. So that prices a lot of people out of the market. And when, you, when it comes to refinancing too, people just, you know, they're not going to go from 4% to 5 and 6%. I think the days of 3 and 2.5% are probably over. So inflation, of course, still with us here. We don't see an end to that just yet, which brings me to the next topic, gentlemen, and it's called the Inflation Reduction Act. Is that as it appears? Well, that would depend on who you ask. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> If you ask anyone in the Biden administration, they're shaking their head yes. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a bobblehead response. But everybody else has been saying, well, we don't really know that spending all this extra money to get us where you think we ultimately want to go, and that is carbon zero in the future. They're hoping that part of this will be that it's an investment, if you will, into carbon emission reduction by 40% by 2030. However, in there with, and is always the case, there's always a lot of other, I would just have to call it pork uh-huh, <laughs> at this yeah. point, you know. Yeah. So it expands Medicare benefits, you know, a little bit, which 
I'm not against people having good Medicare benefits, but nothing is free, right? Right. I mean, everybody has to pay it somewhere. It's supposed to lower energy bills. I'm not sure how they're going to accomplish that. Yeah. It's supposed to, you know, be supposed to be a historic climate investment. So we've noticed that a lot of the ESG companies and the solar companies and alternative energy companies are going to be the recipient of some of this money to help bolster their, give them some more money to invest and to do research and, and that sort of thing. It did expand the Affordable Care Act, affectionately known as Obamacare, to give those people a little extra money, about 800 bucks a year to offset the cost of drugs there. They're going to, through Medicare, they're going to lower the uh, donut hole to $4,000 next year and 2000 by the end of 2025, they say. It's supposed to create manufacturing jobs in the clean energy sector. Mm-hmm. Invest in disadvantaged communities, cleaning up pollution, 60 billion bucks for that. And then, you know, they're going to basically impose a 15% minimum corporate tax, which sounds to me like that's going to jack prices up. Yeah. I don't know. You know, whatever the profitability is, they're 15%. Up by 15%. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to pay for this stuff, and I was waiting for you to get to the taxes part. Finally, uh, it talks about also in there that for these companies that want to buy stocks back, they're going to make them pay a 1% fee on stock buybacks. And then finally, the last piece that I see out here is it protects family and small businesses making $400,000 a year or less. And I guess... And it doesn't really go on to say, but it's supposed to be that they're not going to pay any more taxes. And then I'm sitting here going, why in the world do we need 87,000 more IRS agents? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to thinking about that. You know, if you just take that and you divide it into the number of households per family, that's one IRS agent per 2,000 people. And I'm like, hmm. And they say they're not going to up any audits, right? Well, what in the world are you going to do? I mean, yeah. they're going to twiddle their thumbs, I guess. Yeah, I don't know, but it's, it's pretty interesting to me. I'll tell you what I hear over all of this yeah. is I hear a bunch of woke ESG big government crap. Okay. And I, and I really think that, you know, that's all this is, and this is them trying to please their base right before midterms. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I do think there's going to be some base pleasing going on here, but I think anybody that looks at this and looks at the spending that's going on here, I mean, it's laughable that they call this the Inflation Reduction Act. Hmm. I mean, it's anything but that. You know, I mean, a lot of independent agencies have reviewed this and they say it might reduce inflation by 0.3% 10 years from now. 10 years from now. Just when we need it. Yeah, exactly. But in the meantime, it's gonna in the short term, it's gonna raise it because oh, it's yeah. just money going out yeah, yeah. and nothing coming in. That's the definition of inflation. Yeah, we're talking with Randy Jake here, Floyd Financial Group, about the Inflation Reduction Act and uh, what's going on in the economy right now. We've got a good show lined up for folks today. We were hoping to uh, hold off inflation reduction, but I just couldn't wait to hear your comments on that because it seems to be exactly opposite what it is intended to be. So uh, anyway, that's the way it is with the way uh, things are running right now. We're going to be talking about tax strategies uh, around the retirement age today, Social Security and Inflation, and why you should prepare for RMDs at age 72. But as always, for regular listeners to the program, if you're a new listener to the program, Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group are offering a no-cost, no-obligation financial review. That's right. It's a chance for you to get in, sit down with Randy and Jake, go over your financial plan, and design a plan that can 
can get you to retirement and through retirement so you can have the retirement that you've always dreamed of. It's a little one-on-one there to ask your specific questions. Again, no cost, no obligation. Most importantly, there is no judgment. To get yours, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. You can also go to the website, check out the firm, and request your plan there. It is floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. It's Saturday morning. Thank you for joining us here on Show Me the Money. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show after this here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your host, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about tax strategies around retirement and what that looks like as you get ready to pull the plug on work and retire. That's exactly right, Randy. And I think a lot of people think that when you retire, you're going to spend less. You're also going to pay less in taxes and you might pay less in taxes, but still taxes are a very important consideration when it comes to retirement. Can you explain that? Sure thing. So, you know, as people come in and they're really looking to sit down and get the lay of the land to retire, they've been used to paying a lot of taxes that they will no longer pay when they actually do retire. Along with that, while it's not a tax, it's definitely an expense that I'm going to mention next here that is something that people haven't thought about. So a lot of people, as they're getting close to retiring, they're funding their 401k and they're funding it more aggressively. And like I said, this is not a tax. It's actually a tax benefit, but it also is a cost that people will not have in retirement anymore. So they've been funding their 401k at five or six percent per year or whatever their company will match. Or in many cases, people are saying, well, you know what, I'm going to fund it 12 or 15 percent. And sometimes we have people funding up to the maximum $26,000 a year into their 401 1k that when they stop working, guess what they're not going to do, Jeff? They're not going to fund that $26,000 a year into that 401k. Right. While it gives them a tax reduction of maybe, oh, let's say it would be, you know, maybe 20 to 25% on average, they're still going to find five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year that was maybe going into a four oh one K that they're not gonna have anymore. Not to mention the fact that when you retire you're not gonna be paying Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, which ends up being another seven and a half, seven point six five percent, I guess the actual number is. So when you start thinking about that All of a sudden, when I tell people what their tax bill is going to be, if they're making $100,000 a year in retirement, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to fall into the 12% tax bracket. They're not going to cross into that 22 many times, you know, and if they have any charitable giving and that sort of things, you know, they may actually, they won't get below the 12, but they're going to fit in that 12% tax bracket. And for the state of Missouri, probably around 4% overall. You know, the other consideration is if people have government pensions and that sort of thing, up to a point, you know, a lot of that is not state taxable. So taxes are definitely something we need to factor into retirement and what our income needs are going to look like. You know, and uh, as people have worked over the years and funded their 401ks or their Roth 401ks, their Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs, all those come into play with a different tax picture. Sometimes people have municipal bonds and things like that. And maybe, you know, the tax-free bonds being municipal bonds, sometimes they forget that, you know, those payments do factor into your overall provisional income. 
as to what your taxation is going to be on Social Security as well as your retirement plans. So it does get a little bit complex as we start to figure a retiree's tax plan. And if we miss some things, it can you know cost us hundreds or sometimes thousands of dollars a year. So we want to make sure when we sit down with people that we really are looking at their tax picture and we're making the best moves possible. Also, you know, once in a while they may need more money. Mm-hmm. They need to buy a car. They need to replace a roof. They need to buy a new boat or a new jet ski or something like that. How we harvest that money to get those things purchased and things can also have a tax impact. Well, tax planning, I think, is very crucial when it comes from the saving phase and retirement to the spending phase. And I've heard that, you know, health care and uh, taxes, two of the biggest expenses that you will have in retirement. One of the benchmarks of retirement income is Social Security, and we've got to figure that that's going to be taxed as well, too. But it's really not taxed at one flat rate, is it? No, it's not. It's based on what your other income is, and that's why I talked about provisional income. Generally speaking, when we look at provisional income, we factor in Social Security. Half of it goes in as a calculation. Then we look at all the interest that we've earned on taxable interest or money out of our pension plans. If we have municipal bond interest and that sort of thing, while it's not taxable straight up, it does go into provisional income to determine what bracket you're going to fall into. So, yeah, there's a lot of pieces there in Social Security based on whether you're single or married and what that income looks like determines whether you pay zero of your Social Security or if you pay on half of it or if you pay on 85% of it. Not that you're paying an 85% tax. What right, I'm saying right. is your taxable portion can be zero, 50%. Or 85%, and really knowing how to structure income, and sometimes filing jointly versus filing as married, even mm-hmm. though you're married and, and filing single, right. uh, there's some benefits once in a while to doing that. One hand giveth, the other taketh away. <laughs> taketh away. <laughs> We're talking with Randy Jake here, Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about taxes in retirement. Now, if I'm hearing you correctly, Randy, and I want to clarify this a little bit, the amount of tax that you pay on Social Security, that depends on your provisional income, what you're making outside of Social Security. It doesn't depend on the amount of Social Security that you're getting. Is that right? Well, actually, half half of your Social Security goes into figuring that. Okay. So the more you make in Social Security, the, you know, the bigger half that that is going to be, and you add that to your provisional income, and as you said, it can be taxed up to, that is up to, 85% of your Social Security benefit. But as we said, and some people misconstrue that, you're not paying 85% in taxes. Now, Randy and Jake, you guys do have some help in the tax department there. How do you handle taxes for people in retirement at Floyd Financial Group? Sure. So uh, we have a partnership with uh, Rod Link and his firm, Professional Tax and Accounting, out of Nixa. They're right on the square there in Nixa. And, you know, a lot of our clients, you don't have to use them, but uh, a lot of our clients do use them. They're very uh, qualified and very forward-looking when it comes to taxes. If you want to have tax planning done, that's definitely something that can happen. A lot of times what people do is they just kind of bring in the huge box of receipts at the end of the year and set it on the tax person's (laughs) desk. And, you know, the problem with that is that the damage is already done right there. Um, And if we can plan a little bit ahead of time, a lot of times there's money we can save on taxes. Again, I'm not opposed to paying taxes. I just don't want to pay one cent more than I absolutely have to. I want to pay what's required by law. And uh, I think a lot of people in this area feel the same way. Probably a lot of people listening to the show feel the same way. But yeah, we, we lean on them. We have a very good understanding of taxes and that kind of thing. But if we if we need a little bit more uh, oomph in the tax planning right. or, or 
are a little more uh, study, uh, we can definitely lean on them uh, as a resource. Well, there's no wealth management plan or retirement plan that is complete without a tax plan. And Rod Link is worth his weight in gold, as we always say there. And I had to chuckle about taking the receipts. I mean, I know some CPAs, and the last thing they want you to do is to come in their office and dump these receipts on their desk. I mean, please, for the sake of the CPA sanity, go over those things before you do get in there. Put them in categories and just bring them numbers there with receipts to back that up. So and it's they'll out, do it on April 14th. Yeah, do yeah. not do it on April 14th. They will throw <laughs> you right out of the office. And my CPAs uh, that I deal with really appreciate that, is that I've just got numbers there and receipts to back them up. Tax planning, though, in retirement, as you said, it's not just April 14th. It really has to happen all through the year. What are some of the other ways that you can help people mitigate taxes in retirement? Yeah, so, you know, when we look at all the investments that, that they have, sometimes we can look at, if it makes sense, tax deferral strategies that we can have out there. Sometimes it looks at, you know, using tax-free instruments, sometimes like municipal bonds and that sort of thing, which there are some of those out there now that are starting to look a little bit better as interest rates are going up. For a while, they were really not that helpful because interest rates were down as low as, and yields were like two, two and a half percent. And so when you really look at that from a tax planning perspective, you know, if you can get a 3% yield against a 2% yield in a taxable versus non-taxable, it's pretty easy to equal out the benefit there from the taxes. But as rates go up again, there may be some municipal bond ideas that will come along. There used to be even some tax-free money market accounts. Jeff, you may remember seeing some I, of those yeah, in the past. Yeah, I remember hearing about those, yeah, from my grandparents. I mean, we haven't seen any of those in probably, <laughs> oh my goodness, you know, looking at over my shoulder, probably seven or eight, maybe yeah. 10 years since we've seen right. any of those at this point. But, you know, there's just a many, many, many things that we can look at and how we take income uh, out of each of the baskets of money that people have that affect not only you know their health insurance, what they may pay for Medicare Part B, which are these are all taxes, right? Right, <laughs> as right. I look yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah. Plus the state and and federal income taxes. Uh, as we engineer these plans, it's just something that each time we need to look at that and figure out how do we have the best outcome for taxes and we we'll make major purchases too. Uh, does it make sense? Because many times people will come in and say, "Well, I want to buy a new car, so I want seventy five thousand dollars." Right. Or I want $40,000 or I want $50,000. And I say, well, you know, you can take that out of your IRA account. That's going to put you up in the 22% tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So now on that extra money, just for the Fed, rather than paying 12%, like most people are, now you're going to pay 22% on that money. So if we can get financing, and we've been able to for years and years, and we still are seeing that car companies are offering 0% financing really? for 60 months. Okay. So if I can use the car company's money... Yeah for 60 months at zero or even one percent. I'm probably going to opt to do that rather than paying 22% to the Fed and 5% to the state of Missouri, which is 27%. So if I take out that 50,000, I got to take out like 65 to net that Mm -hmm. and give that to Uncle Sam. And I'm not going to pay any interest, you know, and I might even be able to stay in the 12% tax bracket. So a lot of these things on the surface, you know, you got to get underneath them and look a little bit. I know some people say, I haven't had a car payment in 30 years, and I don't want to have one now. If you don't want to have one, that's okay. 
but let's not throw away money to taxes, as I look at it. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes, and uh, Jake, I'm waiting for you on this one, it appears that maybe our tax dollars are maybe not spent in the best way. Is that about <laughs> right, Jake? I think that's the, uh, the understatement of the millennium. Um, but I think that, yeah, I don't think anybody probably listening right now thinks that most of our tax dollars are well spent. Yeah, it's if, I knew, if I knew our tax dollars were going to go to the battlefield road out here in front of our office, or something that we actually use, right. um, you know, I would have a lot less problem paying tax dollars. But when you have, and we won't go way down the rabbit hole here, right, when right. you have a lot of this other stuff that's getting spent, frankly, like the Inflation Reduction Act, where we're like, it's talking about creating jobs and clean energy, but what about the ones that they're putting out of business, not in clean energy, right. where people have been working for 25 and 30 years? Yeah, as Randy said, there is maybe a little pork in uh, some of these bills out there. Another thing that yeah. you mentioned, Randy, that I do want to reiterate before the break is that you can defer income to put yourself in a better tax bracket in retirement. Sometimes we call that level loading. But tax is very, very important consideration in retirement. That and healthcare are two of the biggest expenses that you will have. If you want a retirement plan, a retirement review that does take into consideration your tax obligations and you're like Randy and Jake and me, you don't want to pay one red cent more than you have to, get in talk to Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group about your financial plan. For our loyal listeners of this program, we're offering it complimentary, no cost, no obligation, most importantly, no judgment. Get your complimentary retirement plan Simply call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary retirement plan slash review by going to floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show right here on our favorite radio station, 104.1 FM, KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. You're listening to Randy and Jake here. And this segment, we're going to be talking about Social Security, inflation, and probably this gigantic CPI, cost of living adjustment, you're about to get. Yeah, and I've been asking about the COLA here. Nobody really knows what the COLA is going to be at this point because they don't release it until later on in the year. I think it's somewhere, what, around October, November, something like that? Yeah, it's usually in October that we will see it, maybe the second or third week of October. It varies a little bit, but there's been speculation it might be as high as 10%. I'm right. thinking it'll be between 7 and 9. If I were a betting person, I would say maybe 8.5 would be my guess, but we will see when the time comes. Okay, so COLA, that's the cost of living adjustment. Some people may be mistaken that it is tied to the rate of inflation, but as you said, it's CPI. How do they calculate COLA and is it an accurate figure? So the COLA is based, like you said, on the CPI. And so the problem is the CPI has been changing quite a lot over the course of this year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the high point hit 9.1. The most recent reading, I think, was 8.5. And so it's really kind of a moving target. And one of the things that a lot of people forget until they actually get their Social Security adjustment is that just like on taxes, the one hand giveth and the other hand taketh away where you will get your COLA adjustment, but we will also have an adjustment most likely for Medicare Part B, mm -hmm. uh, among other things out there. So it, it is going to be nice to have the adjustment to deal with some of this inflation, but it's probably not enough of an adjustment 
to cover the things that cost you know so much more. One of the things we talk about a lot with clients is I'd love for somebody to name me something that's only up eight and a half percent. Yeah, I can't you know, think of one. A lot, a lot of stuff is up. 20, 30 fuel over the last two years, you know, is obviously up a hundred plus percent, right. depending on what kind of fuel you use, that kind of thing. So it's a little bit insulting when they're like, well, it's eight and a half percent, but we're going to throw this out and throw this out and throw this. Well, why are we throwing stuff out? I mean, well, that's what we had to pay for, you know? No, you're exactly right with that. I can't think of anything that's up only eight percent. Everywhere I look, it's 10, 20, 30, 40, as in the, and as you said, with gasoline up 100 percent. Do you think that this Social Security increase could potentially fuel the fire of inflation? So I think I think that's possible, right? So so one of the big things driving inflation right now is a wage increase and mm-hmm. an increase in social security is basically a wage increase for the fixed income people in this country and I think it definitely could. I mean if you're getting 2000, you know, a month in social security, let's say, and some people are getting more, some people are getting less, but if you were to get, you know, an extra 170, 80 dollars a month, you know, that's that's quite a raise for people on fixed income. Right. And so I think willingness to buy things will be higher and the other issue that I see with it is that's going to be a permanent increase. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like if inflation goes down next year, they're, they're going to claw some of that back. And so as a lot of people know, Social Security, the system is already stretched quite a ways. And now we're going to really stretch it some more and we're going to speed up the timeline on how quickly Social Security is going to you know, be broken. So I think all that is going to really usher in over the next couple of years, a lot of talk about Social Security and how to fix it. Well, with the baby boomers getting older and they're, uh, you know, the younger baby boomers are getting ready to retire now. Yeah, there is going to be a bigger strain on Social Security and with its cost of living adjustment up as much as it is going to be here in October. And I think last year it was something like 5.9 percent, somewhere around 6 percent. That is going to uh, increase possibly Social Security running out of money. And there are a lot of people who say, well, I'm going to take Social Security now because it's going to run out of money. Previous to this uh, COLA here, we had expected it to uh, not really run out of money but be even more stretched around 2032, or maybe that was the time that it was going to run out of money. Do you think that this is going to have a major impact and really force people or the uh, people in charge to do something even more drastic than than they'd already planned to do? I think it'll just not enable them to kick the can as far as they would kick it otherwise. So I think we're going to be just talking about it sooner than we would otherwise. And, and one thing I would say, too, on this show is I don't think Social Security is going away. I think they will find other ways to fix it. Some people come in the office and are concerned that it, it may just totally go away. I think they will make people my age, so I'm coming up on 38 here, they will make people my age have to be 80 to get it. Yeah. That'll be the easiest way to fix it. Um, but they will also probably, and one of the things that's being looked at is look at some form of means testing, meaning mm-hmm. if you have a certain amount of retirement assets or other retirement income, you may get a reduced benefit, just like everything else in this country. So I think that's a very real possibility. There's not a lot of talk about that yet, but we'll see. I think the promise of not raising taxes on lower income people or the, or the under 400,000 or or however you want to look at it. I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on them to increase that tax, obviously, on people who make more money. Right now, if you make more than, uh, I think the number is around $140,000, $150,000, you don't pay any more into Social Security. There's a lot of talk about lifting that. So if you make some of these people that make $200 million are going to pay a ridiculous amount of Social Security tax if they do that, which I don't think is personally fair, but that would definitely inject a lot of money into that system. 
And a lot of people uh, I've heard leave a lot of money on the table. Is it true? And I see these things written and I hear them on the radio and see them on TV sometimes that many recipients of Social Security are leaving, you know, like $160,000 on the table. Is that true that people are not maximizing the amount of Social Security that they could get by simply not knowing the rules? I would say that that's true in some cases, Jeff. But I will tell you that, you know, anytime. And, and Jake and I have had this conversation over the years, and you have to be careful with this one, but if you aren't careful, some advertising is just right up there akin to Lies. not being yeah. truthful, right? right? Or as as people love to say it today, it's not it's not, not telling the truth anymore. It's being disingenuous. We've got to be politically correct, I <laughs> guess. Right. So rather than, rather than being genuine, they're being disingenuous. But here's what I would say. Everything kind of gets stretched out of proportion. What they do to try to catch attention there is they say, okay, if a guy takes it at 62 versus waiting to 70, how much did he give up if he lives to be 147,000 like Methuselah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they really stretch it to the end there. And we always talk about this on Social Security, and we have this conversation with people many times a week. You know, there's the financial side of this that says, hey, if you wait till 70, you know what? You will get paid more. Now, we don't know how long you're going to live, so we don't know how long you're going to get paid more. Right. But on the other side of that, if you're at 62 and because of health conditions or simply because you want to, if that's what you want to do, that's the human side of the equation. And we've always got to balance both sides of that. So there's no right or wrong answer for anyone. And sometimes it's just simply sitting back and tweaking in exactly what is the best time for people to start to draw based on how they feel about their job, based on how their health is, based on what they're trying to accomplish. Some people come in and say, you know, I've just got $10,000 left on my house. I'm going to work one more year and get that thing paid off. I don't want to start Social Security until then. Or, you know, there's just so many different scenarios that come up that change things. And many times we'll have, you know, as long as your husband is 62 and if your wife wants to go ahead and pull the plug and start her Social Security early, she can do that. She can even file against yours if you're 62 and maybe you're not taking yours yet. But the long and the short is there's a lot of ways to file Social Security and we help people, you know, work through that process and get them the best outcome for them in their lifestyle and what they're trying to accomplish. We're talking with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group right here in Springfield about Social Security and inflation. As you said earlier, Jake, COLA increased possibly 7 to 9%. Some people have said 10%. It's going to put a strain on things, we think. And then uh, next year, if there's a COLA increase of another 7%, and after that, there's another COLA increase of 5%. You can see where this is uh, going. Around October, they're going to announce the COLA increase, but also there is an earnings cap that you can make before you have to give back a dollar for every two dollars you make over that cap. And currently, I think the cap is what, around 19,500, something like that. Where do you see that going? Yeah, traditionally, Jeff, that's gone up a little bit each year, 19,560. I think okay. the last time it was 18,540. Right. I don't remember the one before that. That's been almost three years. So, mm. But generally, it goes up just a little bit each year, and it makes it possible for people to still kind of keep pace with what's happening. I don't know if they moved it you know, in line with what they thought the Consumer Price Index had moved and what the COLA was last year. I don't think so, since they only moved it around $1,100, and on 
120,000, if you were looking at 6% of 20,000, I guess that is around 1,200. So yeah, they might have, that might be the way they fig- they figured. I do know it changes each year. And that's always something we talk to people about too, if they're getting ready to retire. You know, sometimes people don't realize this, that when they come in here and they sit down with us and we start looking at the social security they could draw, Plus, if they wanted to start, you know, wanted to keep working part time, which many people do anyway, right. to keep themselves active and going and keep a schedule, they can't afford to work any longer because they can make more money working part time, having a good time drawing Social Security than they can <laughs> working full. So, hey, you never know what you're going to run into when you come in here and do the review. And that is something to consider, too. If you're thinking about taking Social Security, you've got to be cognizant of your full retirement age. For everybody listening between 66 and 67, if you're not full retirement age, there is an earnings cap, and it is close to about $20,000. Go over that. You will pay back a dollar for every $2 you make over that. So Social Security and finding out how much you can make is very, very important. We call that Social Security maximization. You can get that plan run for you at Floyd Financial Group. Once again, if you're listening to this program and you'd like a complimentary financial review, you can get it with no cost, no obligation, and no judgment. Call 417-889-7233. Sit down with Randy and Jake right here in Springfield. Ask your specific questions and get the answers tailored to your needs. 417-889-7233. You can also request it at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with the final portion of our show here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money. Jake's sitting here beside me, and we've been talking about this thing called required minimum distributions. What in the world is that, Jake? Well, RMD, I, I was thinking it stood for recurring mass destruction of your portfolio. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say I've heard of WMDs, but RMDs, aren't they almost the same but not quite? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's the same effect on your portfolio as it is on the landscape. But yeah, it's just the government's way of uh, getting the taxes that they've allowed you to defer for your retirement. And, you know, it's kind of a win-win, right? Because you get to grow your money tax deferred and then the government gets a humongous paycheck later because they get to tax you more, which is their favorite thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so required minimum distribution. It used to be at like 70 and a half, but that's changed, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's always interesting to me to listen to how our government officials set things up. Yeah. So the actual law before the SECURE Act in 2020 was, Jeff, you must take your first required minimum distribution from your IRA or your 401k. When you turn 70 and a half, you have to do it by the following April 1st. So what they neglected to tell you is that if you turn 70 and a half last year and you wait till April 1st, you'll have to take two that year. So you'll just mm-hmm. put yourself maybe in a higher tax bracket. But the long and the short of it is basically this. The first year now, when you turn 72 years of age, the government sent you uh, December 31st of that previous year. They sent you a statement that basically said, hey, this is what we know the fair market value of your IRA was on this date. So divide that by 20 which will end up being 3.649% of whatever your balance is. So if you got $100,000 in an IRA but last December and you turned 72, you're going to take $3,640.90 out of there. 
Uh, and if you don't do that, by the way, we're going to take that and divide it in two. And we're going to keep half of it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> or we're going to ask you to send it to us and, and when you file your taxes, right? So there's a 50%. 50. Yeah, penalty if you don't take your RMD when you turn 72. So now for a lot of people, this is a real sore point you can imagine, right? They say, you know, here we've worked hard, we've saved our money, you know, you got us on Social Security, we're having to pay taxes on that already, and we thought we already paid that as a tax once, didn't we? Uh, yeah, I'm sure we did. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so this is just one more thing that sometimes really does uh, breed some conversation, even before people retire. So today we have people coming in. I will tell people this, you know, the Roth conversion is worth having a conversation about as to whether it makes sense for you as an individual or not. But I will tell you that it's not for everyone. And what we have to do is run the numbers and see if it makes tax dollars and cents to do a Roth conversion or not. But here's what I will say. If you are 50 years and younger, 50 years of age and younger, it could make sense to either be funding a Roth IRA looking forward or to be starting the process of converting a traditional IRA or 401k into a Roth or a Roth 401k, it might make sense to do that because you have time on your side to do that conversion. Meaning that if you have a $500,000 IRA and I've got 10 years to divest myself of it, if I do it at $50,000 a year, I may only bump myself up one bracket what we would prefer to do in here, rather than bumping anybody up to the next bracket, is try to keep them in the same tax bracket while we convert. That's why if we have extra time, that can really make sense. So those 50-somethings listening out there right now, uh, it might be something you'd want to think about looking at a Roth conversion for at least part of your money so that you'll have some tax-free income out of your retirement assets looking forward. Also, we have some people out here probably listening to the show that are saying, well, hey, I'm 65. I've got, you know, 750000 I got a million dollars in my IRA. Is it too late for me to do a Roth conversion? I will say this. It depends on the income that you've been used to and the income that you need in retirement. And, you know, we have people still working at 70. Some people are still doing that. So it could be that there is still an opportunity to, to do a partial Roth conversion to help reduce your RMDs in the future. I think a lot of it has to do with your goals, too, because if you are wanting, and we talked, I think, a little bit about this last week, some people say, you know, I want the last check I write to bounce. <laughs> and then we have some people that say, you know, I want to shop at Goodwill so I can give my kids as much money as humanly possible. And then we have everything in between. If your goal is to leave a lot of money to your kids, the Roth could potentially make sense based on their income tax bracket. Again, it really comes down to the goals, I think, uh, as well. And that's part of the planning process. If you come in and here and see us, that we can really look at it objectively and say, okay, here is you. You are unique. Your goals are unique. Your situation is unique. Your income is unique. And because of that, there's just almost no two plans that really look alike. So when you come in, we can take a look at all that. It won't cost you anything. And, uh, and we can help make some of those tougher decisions. We're talking about why you should prepare for RMDs at age 72 with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group. And again, 72, you do have to take those RMDs. But it, even if your little old Aunt Gladys, who is uh, my Aunt Gladys Kravitz, is uh, 104 years old, are you saying that there's no grace period if she forgets to take her RMD? Because she, after all, she's 104. She's still going to get penalized, right? She is. Yep. yep. <laughs> 50%. They're going to come right over there. And now with 87,000 new IRS agents, it oh, won't take them long. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Oh, boy, I can't wait for that. (laughs) How can your kid's income figure into your IRA? Well, basically, Jeff, what ends up happening when you pass away and you pass your IRA to your kids. So it used to be we could do what was called a stretch IRA. Uh And they would say, okay, uh, when you get ready to inherit this money, your child says, hey, I'm 50 years old. They go out and they look at this thing called the single life table, and it gives them a divisor, kind of like for the RMD. I said, when you start, you divide by 27.4. So what it amounts to, a 50-year-old was probably going to have to take about a 2% distribution each year. So if you left them a million dollars, they need to take out $20,000 a year, and they could do that over their lifetime and thereby mitigate the taxes. But the SECURE Act in 2020 says, no, 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 got to take it out all over 10 years. Now, you get to be flexible during that 10, but you got to get all that money out of there over the 10-year period. And so, therefore, it really did put a little bit of a crunch on the larger IRAs going to kids that stand to inherit money like that. Now, I will say this. There's one thing we haven't talked about here, and this is something that's not for everybody, but for certain people, this is a win-win. If I have somebody that comes in here, maybe it's a 60-year-old or a 62- or 3-year-old female in Mm -hmm. good health that has a large IRA that she wants to pass to her kids tax-free... There's a way to do that. We can take her RMDs and buy a life insurance contract. We'll pay the tax on what we pay for the life insurance premium. But then we can many times at that age, we can really give them a large tax-free death benefit mm-hmm. to pay to the children later. So it's uh, it's another planning technique that if we have somebody that really does not need all the income or maybe any of the income just depends on their situation again all or some we can go out and and potentially buy that life insurance contract and pass that to the kids tax-free and there's also benefits on the life insurance contract for long-term care in many cases that say hey if you need a long-term care stay along the way guess what they'll do jeff they will actually pay most of the death benefit Hmm. to pay for at-home care assisted living, and finally nursing homes. So it's a, it can be a multi-use tool for sure. That is interesting. I really hadn't heard of that strategy, but of course that is the, the reason why you're so valuable to the people listening to this program today. So what you were saying is that you can take an advance on your life insurance proceeds. Is that where you can't maybe do two of the six activities of daily living? That's it. That would be exactly right. All right. We're talking with RMDs with Randy and Jake here of Floyd Financial Group. Randy, I've heard this thing called QCDs. Can you explain what that is? Sure. That's a qualified charitable distribution from your IRA. And what that really boils down to, Jeff, is you have to be now RMD age again, at least 70 and a half. They didn't change that rule. I think that will go to 72 soon, but you have to be 70 and a half, the old number, to be able to qualify to do this. But what it really allows you to do is to direct a payment to a charity directly. That's a 501c3 organization, like a church, or you know, it can be a humane society or, or any charitable place. You can actually have that money directed straight to them. It never hits your tax rolls, so it never shows up anywhere on your uh, IRS statement and no 1099 or anything of that nature. So that's a way some people like to do charitable donations and church giving and that sort of thing with their IRAs and their 401ks because it just really escapes all the taxes for them. Now, the one thing we need to talk about is the fact that, you know, the standard marital deduction for a 
couple is around $26,527,000 now. So you're going to have to get above that number. So generally, when we see people that are doing this, it's those people that they want to do this type setup, because if you don't get ahead of that, in other words, if you don't have more deductions through all your charitable giving than the 24000 you don't get credit for it. So therefore, by doing the QCD, it doesn't show up on your tax rolls anywhere. And that's a good thing for you because otherwise, if you don't make that 24000 in charitable giving, you don't get any additional tax benefit. So that's why it's a great way for charitable givers to do it through the QCD. We've been talking about RMDs and IRAs and QCDs and all the other initials here on Floyd Financial Group with Randy and Jake. And by the way, if you're listening to this program and you're thinking to yourself, boy, these guys are pretty sharp cookies there. I want to get in and sit down and talk with him. You can do it. No cost, no obligation to get your complimentary financial review. Call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233, or better yet, go to the website, check out the firm, and request your complimentary consultation at Floyd Financial Group.com. It is floydfinancialgroup.com. Well, gentlemen, we are out of time for this week. I want to get in a little fishing here this afternoon before things turn cooler here later on this month. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. <laughs>